One of the key ingredients to growing your food blog is understanding your audience. The second part though, is being able to make strategic decisions with your audience in mind, even if they're not what you would have chosen for yourself. Now, I often say that your blog is not about you, it's about your audience. And in today's episode, I'm interviewing a food blogger about her journey of getting to know her audience and building a business around what they need. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited that you are tuning in today, and I have just really loved these episodes that we have been doing where we are interviewing past clients and really getting to know their journey. And you guys have been loving these episodes too, which is why we are continuing to do them. So before I jump into that though, I always love to just say thank you so much for listening. Whether you are a brand new listener or you've been listening for a while, it always means so much that you guys are tuning in, whether that's every week or catching up and binging episodes while you are on a summer vacation. It just really makes it worth it for me to host this podcast and to be able to share this valuable content with you week after week. For those of you who I don't know super well, my name is Madison Wetherill, and I am the CEO and founder of Grace and Vine Studios. Over there, we specialize in building custom brands and websites for food bloggers looking to take their business to the next level. I often share that our clients are food bloggers who have really started to carve out a niche for themselves, and they're really looking to have help with clarifying that niche, making sure that it is very strategic and intentional, and that it is really obvious to somebody who is coming to their website for the first time what that niche is, and then really creating an expertise from that niche and creating a resource website of their food blog, not just a random collection of recipes that don't make sense, but really carving out and becoming an expert in their field of choice, their niche of choice. So if that is you and you are looking to refine who you're speaking to on your blog, what your niche is, or maybe you feel really confident about your niche, but your website is not reflecting that, then we would love to chat with you about the possibility of working together. You can always go over to graceandvinestudios.com, click on the services tab to learn how we work with clients and what all our different packages look like. The timeline and availability for all of those things will be there as well. Now, if you haven't heard, this summer we are hosting a completely free email challenge called Sizzling Summer Camp. This email challenge is really a free email challenge to set you up for the best quarter four ever. I don't know about you, but every single year it seems like quarter four sneaks up on me and all of a sudden I'm trying to scramble to get all the things done that I want to get done on my food blog. And so this year I wanted to get started early with preparing for really just having a plan in place for quarter four. And so this is a challenge that you can join for free by going to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer. We have been going for a couple of weeks at this point, but you can easily catch up and there will be a website page where you can go and see all of the past weeks and get caught up that way. But this has really been so fun to see food bloggers coming together 
sharing their goals for quarter four and just cheering each other on. I always love to just see the food blogger community come together and we have a pop-up Facebook group that we are using in order to be able to keep everyone connected and on the same page for the challenge. So if you are not signed up for it and you would like to prepare for the best quarter four that you have had so far, then I would love for you to go and join us. You can find the link in the show notes as well. So the last thing that I love to do at the beginning of these episodes, or I have been loving lately, is to share something that is a little bit more personal and something that I have been loving lately, either from a personal standpoint or in the business. And this week I was thinking about what I wanted to share, and I realized that I have been doing a lot of learning lately. And especially when it comes to more personal things, so not so much in the business as the business stuff for me is kind of ramping down as I get into my maternity leave coming up here. But from a personal side, I am kind of going down a lot of just different trails in terms of learning things that maybe I've already known or things that I want to do differently with this pregnancy and with the postpartum care that I'm looking to have or even just having a newborn again. It's been about four years since I had a newborn and so... There's a lot of things that I needed to kind of, you know, brush the rust off, so to say, and figure out the things that I want to do this time around. So besides that, I've also just been really enjoying listening to different podcasts on more personal topics just to help my brain kind of start to shut things down on a business level because I'm always learning things for business, but the personal side of my life often isn't where I spend as much time learning. And so I've really been enjoying some of those topics that I've been diving into lately. Okay, I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. Like I mentioned, we have just loved having our clients on the podcast recently, not only to share about just their food blogging journey and their experience of redesigning their website or building a new brand, but also just to share the specific wisdom that they have. I get to know our clients on a really personal level while we're working together, and I get to know their businesses really well. So I often find there are things that our clients are experts in when it comes to the business of running a food blog, and I just want to be able to give them a space to share those things with you. Now, this client in particular is also a good friend of mine, so it was hard for us to even decide which topic to talk about because there are so many things that we could have talked about in this episode, but I am so thrilled to welcome Liz Marino back to the podcast again. Liz Marino is the blogger and creator behind The Clean Eating Couple and now her second website, Tasty Treat and eats. On The Clean Eating Couple, she shares easy, healthy recipes made with simple ingredients. And on her new site, Tasty Treats and Eats, she shares easy desserts that anyone can bake. I cannot wait for you to learn from her journey so far. So let's jump over to the episode. Hey Liz, welcome back to the Vine Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on again today to talk about your blog and just your journey over the years. So would you mind starting us off by just sharing a little bit about you and your blog and would you tell us specifically what your niche is as well? Sure. Thank you for having me back, Madison. I'm super excited to be here and to chat with all of you. So if you didn't catch my last episode, my name is Liz and I am the blogger behind now two websites. I started my blogging journey with my main website, which is called thecleaneatingcouple.com. And on that website, I focus on sharing simple, easy to follow, healthy recipes. I've been blogging there for almost 10 years. And Two months ago, I just started a second website, very different, but it is for easy dessert recipes called Tasty Treats and Eats. So that one's kind of just in the beginning stages, but my main time and focus is the clean eating couple. That's so crazy that it's been almost 10 years and I've been kind of like 
with you through almost half of that time, which is super crazy. So for those of you who haven't listened to our original episode where Liz shared all of her email marketing tips with us, which was back in episode 41. Um, we talked a little bit in that episode about kind of how Liz and I got connected, which was Liz was actually my first VA on my food blog when she was kind of getting started and kind of trying to transition out of the corporate world, which I'll let you talk about in a second. But um, that's how we originally got connected. And then we've been friends and you know, clients and all of that stuff ever since. So it's been a really fun journey just to watch your food blog grow. But on that note, let's talk a little bit about kind of the brief journey that you have gone through with your blog over the last few years and what it has looked like from, you know, when you started it 10 years ago to kind of what it looks like right now as a full-time food blogger. Yeah, sure. It's crazy that it's been almost 10 years. It makes me feel kind of old. Um, But so I started my site in college, actually, just as a way to kind of chronicle my own health and fitness journey. So at the time I was in school, I'd always eaten pretty healthy. I never worked out, just wasn't my thing. But um, my boyfriend at the time, time and now husband says to me, you know, why don't you try working out? I was feeling really anxious. I wasn't really dealing with the transition of college very well. So I started walking on the treadmill, started eating healthier. And, you know, I was telling my friends, I made, oh, these healthy brownies and healthy pasta and all of these things. And a lot of people, my friends and family were asking, you know, where'd you get the recipe for that? Can you share the recipe? So I started an Instagram account to chronicle my workouts and the recipes. And then I started a blog because Instagram just wasn't enough. And I always did it through college. And then right after I graduated college, I went to school for marketing. And I just never really loved corporate America. The whole time I was there, I was just like, this is not for me. I don't want to be at a desk. And at the time I I was working with influencers at the company I was working at and seeing that people are making a lot of money doing this. And I kind of got the bug that I was like, you know what? I don't have a ton of responsibilities. I'm young. Like I might as well go all in on this and see if I could make a full-time income out, out of this blog. So throughout my time in corporate America, I was like hustling like crazy. Um, I would work in the morning before I would go to work. I would work after work. I would work all weekend. I mean, it definitely wasn't a balanced time in my life, but it was very worth it because, you know, it's led me to where I am today. But in 2018, I quit my job and I said, you know, I'm going to give myself six months, see what happens. And within those six months, I had surpassed my salary at my marketing job. So I was off to a good start and I haven't looked back ever since. I love it. I just always love hearing your story. And I love hearing like that you recognize the need for hustling in that season, but that it was not a balanced and sustainable approach. And that's, we've had that conversation so many times offline, but something I would love, this is not where we're going to spend the most of our time talking about today, but would you, is there something that you would share as kind of like one or two of your biggest tips for somebody who's kind of in that transition phase of like wanting to go full time or wanting to kind of hustle to get their blog to kind of that next level? Like what would you, what advice would you give for that person for that season? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to say because uh, I will just give a disclaimer. I think that it's easy to hear something like that and maybe get down on yourself, but I was twenty five years old, 24 years old. I had no kids. I live in an apartment with my boyfriend at the time. Like I really did not have many responsibilities other than like feeding myself, getting to work. Like there wasn't that much that I needed to, um, tend to, if you will. So, you know, if you are at a different point in your life, if you have kids or family or other things that you, you know, that occupy your brain space and your time, don't feel like, wow, like 
I wish I could just hustle, you know, for an extra 12 hours a day. So the first thing I would put is like that disclaimer. It was just kind of a unique period in my life. I don't know that what I did would necessarily work for everyone. But the thing that I would say is keep your eyes on your own paper. And that's kind of a philosophy that I keep with my own business now to this day. It's really, really easy to get wrapped up in social media and see what so-and-so is posting on TikTok or the cool trending reel. And I think that your time is better spent focusing on you, what you want to do, what you want to create for your audience, and not trying to always be keeping up with the Joneses. And the other thing that I would say is like social media literally does not matter. Uh, Focus your time and energy on SEO. You will see far better return than trying to chase the latest social media trend. I love that. And I I think it would just be a missed opportunity to not have you share kind of those wisdom tips because having like watched the journey and like I said, having had so many conversations, I just know you feel really passionate about kind of that transition period for somebody between like when their site is still growing to like when it can really turn into what they want it to be. So I wanted to just make sure to touch on that. But something that you just mentioned at the end is where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. And that is really diving into talking about just knowing your audience and something that really stood out to me in the process of working together and redesigning your website a few months ago is just how in tune you are with your audience and almost unapologetically willing to make decisions for your blog that benefit your audience. And so I would love to just chat about that for a little bit. And I guess the question here to start us off is just how have you been able to develop that understanding over the years of like who your audience is and what they want? And I guess even how you've been able to be so unapologetic about those types of decisions. Yeah. So I think part of the reason why it's been a little bit easier for me is because my niche really hasn't changed. And ever since I've started my site. Yeah, it's been tweaked a little as I've, you know, grown up. It's been 10 years. I would hope I change a little bit. But for the most part, I've always been focused on sharing easy, healthy recipes that don't take a ton of time. That's partially out of my need because as much as I love to cook, I don't want to be spending all my time in the kitchen. But also I realize that that's what other people need. Healthy Eating healthy can be overwhelming if you feel like you have to do everything from scratch and spend tons of time in the kitchen and buy all the fancy things. And my whole thing from when I started this is it really doesn't have to be that hard. You know, it, it can be easy. So I've always really focused on that. But then as the years have gone on, really just talking to my audience has helped me understand who they are, understand that, you know, Basically, I have two people that come to my site and, you know, some people might have one group of people that they like to talk to, but in my head, I have two different people that I speak to. Um, And just a quick overview is like, I have mostly women that come to my site and they're split in between two age groups. One I would say is like a little bit younger. Maybe they just graduated college. They're getting an apartment for the first time. They're kind of learning how to cook and be on their own. And then the other group is a little bit older, a little bit further on in their lives. Like maybe they are really busy with work or maybe they have a family, maybe they have kids and you know, they're looking to eat healthy, but don't have a ton, ton of time. That's kind of the overarching thing. No matter where someone is in their life, they want to eat healthy, don't want to spend a ton, ton of time and don't want it to be too complicated. So That is the guiding thing in literally everything I do. Every recipe that comes out on my site, if it doesn't check off those boxes, it just never sees the light of day. (laughs) And it's been honestly really easy to stick to that because there's no question. Like, yes, I could make a paleo brownie that's only made from, you know, organic nut flours and whatnot, but that's complicated. It's expensive. 
Maybe it has special steps. So it's an automatic no for me. If it's not easy, if it's not healthy, if it's not made with accessible, affordable ingredients, it automatically is just a no for my site, which helps me stay really niche down and talk to my audience in a way that I think they receive very well. And that's so clear when you have kind of that framework of what, because as food bloggers, we have a million ideas all the time. So to be able to just have that filter that every idea goes through is I'm sure so helpful for you to come up with ideas. Have you ever felt like it has like hindered the amount of content that you feel like you could write or like has stopped you from having, you know, enough posts to go out because you have kind of these like strict filters? A little bit, but at the end of the day, I just come back to what I'm trying to do and then it kind of recenters me. But also that's part of the reason why I started a second site because even though I love to eat healthy, I really, really love dessert and something with a ton of butter and sugar and white flour didn't really fit into the easy, healthy (laughs) framework. So that's kind of why I started a whole new site to be able to share those recipes that I was really missing sharing with people. Yeah. And I think to your point about social media earlier, like you had mentioned, you know, don't spend a lot of time and effort on social media. But I also think that that is a great place to experiment or like to share other things that maybe wouldn't be a good fit on your site, if you really feel strongly about doing that. And I know that's something that you've done just even sharing your, you know, regular everyday life on Instagram and stuff like that. So I think people need to realize that while having a niche may kind of put you in a box and kind of like filter what types of things you might want to share. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about anything else anywhere else, but just think about your blog as kind of like the permanent library of like what people are going to think of you as and use the other platforms and other places to be more experimental and to, to share things that might not fit into that box perfectly. But just remembering that, you know, the more you do that, the more you might create kind of some confusion with your audience about like what it is that you do. So just wanted to like touch on that because I think it's an important distinction to just recognize like, yes, having that box and that filter can feel limiting in some ways, but at the end of the day, if your goal is to grow and your goal is to support your audience, having that filter is going to ultimately benefit you in the long run. Yeah. And I think it's also going to make it easier for your audience to spread the word about you. If you want your site to grow like organically, you know, people, you want people to recommend it. And if someone can't say what you do, even if it's just your friend, it's gonna make it a little bit more complicated. I think if you're kind of like a jack of all trades versus saying like, oh, you should follow Liz, like she posts really easy, healthy recipes. It's very simple. It's quick to remember. And I think it just makes it easier, not only for yourself, but even for other people to recognize who you are, what you do and share that with their friends and family. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I've used that exact same line about your blog to friends many, many times, (laughs) which is one of the things that has helped, you know, just solidify that niche for, you know, just me when I talk about your site. But I've had people who have come to me and been like, oh, I'm starting Whole30. And I'm like, this is the site you need to go to because the recipes work and they like are going to be delicious. And it's so easy. But to your point, like, you know, this was probably more common when there were more blogging conferences and things like that. But like, if your elevator pitch is hard for you to explain, like what you do and like what your blog is all about, it's going to be that much more challenging for somebody who isn't you who isn't that close to your content to know how to explain it. And so that's always a really good gut check to know whether or not like it makes sense, you know, the niche that you're in and the way that you explain things to people. So that's super important to remember. Hey, food bloggers, how would you like to end the year with your best quarter four ever? Every year when quarter four rolls around, you might find yourself scrambling to get ahead and actually enjoy some time away from your business for the holidays. Well, this year I have something that is going to help you prepare for the best quarter of the year. Sizzling Summer Camp is a free challenge to cook up your best quarter four yet. 
Throughout this challenge, you'll be walked step-by-step through what you need to do to prepare for having a successful quarter to wrap up this year. This is going to be action-packed with everything that you need to know and the steps you need to take to make sure this year ends on a high note. I do not skin the surface at all when it comes to sharing the best tips for making sure your content, your website, and your brand is ready for an exciting quarter. All you need to do to join this completely free challenge is head to graceandvinestudios.com summer to sign up. Now, a few of the things that we'll be covering throughout the weeks of this challenge are things like setting your goals for quarter four, making a plan for your content, a DIY website review and audit, raise your RPM and make more money, and a site speed tune-up. These are just some of the things that we'll be covering between the end of July and the beginning of October. We have different ways for you to get accountability throughout this challenge and plenty of reminders to take action so that you will see the results that you're wanting head over to graceandvinestudios.com summer to sign up for the free challenge. And you can also find a link in the show notes. Can't wait to see you there. So talking about like knowing your audience, you mentioned that you have just talked to your audience a lot. Can you give us some like ex- specific examples, I guess, of how you've talked to your audience? You know, what does that look like for you? And like, I guess, what are the channels of communication that have been most effective for you in talking to your people? Yeah, I'm going to contradict myself here and tell you that (laughs) mostly social media is how I talk to my audience just because it is so easy. Instagram has made it really easy to post polls, ask questions, DM with people. So I would say the most conversation that I have with my audience happens on Instagram and I will ask them pretty much anything. I will say like, what do you think about this recipe if I, I have an idea for it? And while I don't live and die by Instagram, if 95% of my audience says, no, thank you that's probably a pretty good indicator that maybe everyone (laughs) doesn't really want to see that. So I think it's a great way to learn more about who your audience is. You know, if you ask, you know, what's your, your biggest hurdle with getting dinner on the table? Um, And they say, Oh, my kids are picky, or, you know, I'm super busy with work. Uh, I don't have a ton of time to cook all these things that they might offer you kind of insights into who they are and what they want, which helps you kind of shape what you would put out for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's usually your social media presence is going to be a good reflection of a similar or at least a subset of your audience that you would have on your blog anyway. And again, going back to the idea of like being really specific with your niche, if you are very specific with that in both places, you're naturally going to build that audience that fits within that mold. And so yeah, I'm getting people to have conversations on a blog is very challenging. So social media is definitely where people go to do that. So it makes sense that that would be kind of the primary, you know, platform of how you're communicating with people. So with that knowledge in mind, because this was this was something that I think you had a really strong grasp on before we worked together and have developed over the years, but I think also is something that really shaped itself through the redesign process. But I guess throughout that process and throughout all of the decisions that we had to make for your website, how did knowing your audience ultimately help you make those decisions and even shape the direction for your website redesign? It really shaped everything with the redesign. I think that it was top of mind with everything that we did from the colors to the logo to just the structure of the site and all the things that you help with. And I would say that even if you are someone that maybe doesn't have as clear a view of who your audience is, talking with you, Madison, really helped iron it out and make it crystal clear as who the website was serving and and what we needed to do to serve those people best. The branding strategy that we did 
kind of before we did the redesign was really, really helpful. So talking through all of that and just kind of writing it down in my head, I've always had who those people are, but sitting down, writing it out really helped me shape that. And then in terms of the actual site and redesigning it, whenever there was a question or you know, an option for something. I tried to almost like take myself out of myself as the business owner and look at it from those two people, the the busy mom or, you know, the person that's fresh out of college and say, okay, well, what would be helpful for them? Do they need that feature? Will they like that? Will this make it easier for them to cook the recipe? And just really look at everything from the point of view of my reader versus what I thought was best. Yeah. And I remember there were certain, I wouldn't even call them trends necessarily, but maybe features that we had seen on other food blogs or that we've done for other clients that, you know, you and I would talk about, like, is this a relevant feature? Is this going to be helpful for the reader? And one particular area I remember having a conversation about was your recipe index, because before we redesigned, you didn't, your recipe index wasn't organized in a very like easy to find things kind of way. And so we talked about like, do we even need this page at all? But through just talking about like, well, how would your reader use this page and what would be most helpful? We were able to design that page in a way that was super helpful for people to be able to find what they're looking for. And that also would help your site structure and help your site from an SEO perspective as well. But I think had we not been thinking about it through that lens, it would have been really easy to just be like, yeah, we don't need that page. It doesn't really like help anyone in its current state, rather than asking the question of like, well, how would it be helpful? And how should we redesign this page so that it is a really valuable resource for your readers? Yeah, totally. I think that it can get easy to be kind of wrapped up in, well, am I using this now? Is it helpful now? But even if the recipe index is a great example, like that page was barely touched. Now it's climbing as one of the more popular pages on my site. And almost thinking of your site in in the future of like, okay, maybe it's not working now, but if we shifted it, how could it work in years to come? I think it's important to think of if you are considering a redesign. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give another food blogger who is maybe in the process of either redesigning their website on their own or thinking about, you know, working with someone to redesign it in the future when it comes to this idea of just understanding your audience and keeping their needs top of mind? Yeah, I think it goes back to two of the things, actually, what I was just talking about, almost thinking of what your site is going to look like down the line, which is kind of hard to anticipate what are people going to need or what are people going to want. But one of the things that we had talked about is my site being a resource for my readers. And when you think of your website as a resource versus like, here are just all my recipes in one place, you can think, okay, well, maybe we need a crock pot category page because that's one of the most popular categories on my site. Or maybe we need a chicken category and maybe we should be putting that on the homepage because these are popular, things like that. So kind of thinking of like what your audience is going to need or might need in the future is helpful. And then the other thing that I would say is talk to your audience about it. I mean, I know that you use some tools like Hotjar to see what things are being clicked on and what was being used on the site. Obviously, we looked at analytics, saw like, you know, where people actually were going on the site. But I asked my audience things like, do you use this? Do you like this feature? My audience actually (laughs) helped me pick out my logo. We had a couple options. I put it up as a poll. I kind of knew what I was leaning towards, but then it was also what my audience is leaning towards. So I let them be involved in the process because at the end of the day, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the website is for them. It's it's really not for me. I'm not cooking from my website usually. So letting them be involved and letting them structure what your site will look like is 
honestly, it's, it's really fun. And I think it's really helpful because at the end of the day, you have a product that like they had their hands in and were able to see and be a part of. Definitely. And there's so many little decisions that you have to make in the redesign process. So even being able to like push a few of those off to your audience or just have like a second opinion that is not your spouse who probably is like so sick of hearing about all the different decisions is really helpful because it's it's somebody who is a little bit like removed from maybe the personal attachment to something that you might have, especially if it's like an old logo or an old feature that you might have had and, you know, think is really useful. It helps your readers to be involved in that process. And that was something else that you did such a great job of was you talk to your audience about the redesign the entire time. It was not something where it was just like, all of a sudden I have this new website and hope you can find what you're looking for. It was like, Hey, we're going through this process and you, you know, we're just really good about giving people sneak peeks along the way. And I can almost guarantee that that made it so much easier for your readers to A, be excited about the changes you were making, but B, to also like know how to use the site because it's something that, you know, I think people forget a lot of the times when you have this brand new website, people don't know how to use it yet because it's brand new to them. And even if your website before wasn't all that great, they figured out how to use it and they're used to those features. So just talking about that is really, really important. You did a great job of that too. So, okay, we're going to shift and talk a little bit about kind of like your business structure a little bit. You've already mentioned that you have a second site now and you kind of alluded to the fact that it has changed, I guess, like the way that you work on your site has changed over the years. So I would love to talk a little bit about outsourcing, which again, is something that you and I talk about a lot. But can you tell us what your current team looks like right now? And even how that has shifted over the last year or two, and even when it comes to this new site, like how you're approaching working through everything with a team. Yeah, totally. So for years, and especially those years where I was kind of hustling away, I did all the things. Every single thing on my blog, related to my blog, I had my hands in. And now that couldn't be further from the the reality. I mean, I I won't say my hands are in everything, but for the most part, a lot of it is pretty hands off. So I have um, a couple different people that are just super important to Clean Eating Couple and even my new site. So I have um, one VA, Elizabeth, who is amazing. She uh, started out just managing my Facebook page and she has taken on so many different roles and she's so good at everything. I would be lost without her, but so she helps me with my Facebook. She helps me with writing blog posts. She helps drafts emails and convert kit. She helps write Instagram captions. She creates pins in Canva, web stories, like you name it. She does it. She's amazing. And she really is the reason why so many uh, pieces of content are able to go out. So would be lost without her. And then I have Simple Pin Media, who is managing my Pinterest, even though they're not technically a team member, I feel like they're part of my team. I have everything digital marketing, Ty Kilgore and his team help me with SEO. They do keyword research for me. They provide outlines for my new blog posts and they audit old blog posts to help with their rankings, which has been super helpful. And then I have a couple of freelance food photographers and recipe developers who help me develop recipes that maybe I don't really want to develop going back to, you know, doing what my audience wants. Maybe it's something that I don't really want to eat or spend hours retesting and um, they can help with that and help with photos on things. And then lastly, this summer, I have an intern Addie who has been amazing. She comes and helps me on shoot days. So she's helping in the kitchen, prepping, cleaning up, doing all the things. And she also helps make all of my reels, TikToks, Facebook videos. So that's kind of the main crew. And outsourcing has been like the best thing that I have ever done for my business. I wish I had listened to you sooner when you encouraged (laughs) me to do it. So that's kind of where I'm at in terms of that. 
Yeah. So I have so many thoughts, but I think first let's, let's just like go practical. And can you tell us like what, how many pieces of content were you able to create per week, per month, whatever, before you had this team versus what are you doing right now? I was probably doing about eight for clean eating couple. Per Uh, month? Yeah. Eight per month, eight new blog posts per month. And then I was able to up it to 12 and now we're like closer to like 16 to m- per month. And then I have this whole other site where right now I'm being pretty aggressive in the new posts and updating posts. So I don't know, that's another like eight or so per month. So I mean, it's a lot of content. It's really overwhelming when I think about it. Um, and even having the help, sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed by it, but it, it's like tripled, quadrupled the amount of content that I'm able to put out just by having help. And how has that affected like the rate that your blog is growing and like being able to kind of reach those like next goals? Again, like same thing. I find that like the more I invest in my business, the more I get back. And I know that you and I have talked about this offline about like, what is the rate of money that you have to put in to get the return on investment? I think that if we knew the answer to that, um, we would have probably, you know, kicked If our- anyone knows the answer to that, yeah, please let us know, know because- we'll Kick our feet up and go on vacation once we figure <laughs> that out. But my, I mean, just like talking from a page views perspective, like my June this year is up- a hundred percent over last June. And like, I am laughing to saying that because like, I can't even believe that. Like that's an insane number. And in terms of revenue, I mean, from, I mean, I've been full-time on my site for almost, yeah, four and a half years. And since the site started, I've, I've more than tripled my original revenue. So yearly. So just everything is moving in the right direction. The more I invest in getting help for things. So if you are on the fence, I don't know that you're going to have those exact returns, but I'm telling you, even if you don't make another dollar from investing in it, you are going to just feel better. I was just like this stressed person who was constantly on my phone, constantly on my computer, sneaking in work at the end of the day, getting up early, like it's just craziness. And just not having to worry about certain things is so freeing and can allow you to do the things you like, like just take a Friday afternoon off or go to the beach and not have to worry about Pinterest or, you know, just things like that. So even if you don't make the return on investment, like the mental return on investment is priceless. Absolutely. And I mean, something that I think people will probably be thinking in their heads is that, you know, it's, it sounds great to be able to like outsource all of those things, but your blog is like already successful. But I will just tell people from being on the other side and like watching your business grow, like you didn't wait until you were making crazy amounts of money to start investing. Like you started when your blog was still growing. And I think that's something that is really important because like you said, it's, it isn't always an exact return on investment. You're not always going to say, well, I paid $200 to have this post created and I made $500 in my ads from it. It's not always going to work out that linearly, but the return on investment that you get in your mental capacity, mental health, and just the balance of your life is so important. And like you said, it's something that has helped your blog to grow exponentially year over year. And it, like now that we've seen it happen, you know, for years, it's not just something where it's like it was an off month and you just had a good month. Like it's continued year over year to grow and to expand. So we kind of already touched on this a little bit with just like the mindset shift that you've kind of made over the years when it comes to investing. But is there anything else that you would say has been a big shift for you mentally when it comes to outsourcing? or just the way that you view like the growth of your business? 
Yeah, there's kind of two things in terms of mindset shift. I would say, I think in general, bloggers are a little bit self-centered and we have a little bit of an ego. Uh, so just like a, having a quick reality check and realizing that maybe you are not the best person to do this. I think that it can get really easy to be wrapped up in like, of course I have to do Pinterest. Of course I have to manage my Facebook. Of course I have to create my reels. But what if someone could do it in a quarter of the time that you do it? Because like that is their main skill set and they're super good at it. So I would say, you know, don't think that only you can do something. And then the other thing that I would say is just give things a try and look at everything as an experiment. There's been plenty of things that maybe I've outsourced in or I've bought or I've tried that just haven't worked at all. And yes, it really, really sucks when you are spending your hard earned money on something and you feel like you wasted it. But you know what, if you just say, you know what, I gave it a shot. It saved me a couple hours. It's not how I would have done it, but moving forward, we'll find someone else to do it the right way or I'll do it the right way. Just giving it a try and seeing it as an experiment can really help make the process feel a little less stressful because it is stressful to hand something off that only you have ever touched and worked on. But on the other side of that, it is also very stressful to carry around the weight of all of the responsibilities of a food blog. And like, I just think it's, it's such an interesting industry that views the work that you have to do on your site so differently than any other business. Like in any other business, you would never do all of these different things. Like even if you just think of all the different departments that you would have to have a food blog, if it was like a real corporation, it would be like 17 different departments. And like you would never be in charge of all of those departments. It just, it wouldn't ever happen. So it's such a good thing to be able to get things off your plate, let somebody else take care of them, and then be able to step more into the things that you truly do love doing. And most of the time you probably are better at doing. So I just, I love that. I love seeing it happen for you. And I'm glad that it has been a, a successful return on investment for you because it's it's definitely proven to be a good use of your time and money. So yes. <laughs> so the last thing that I want to cover is just a little bit more about the redesign process for you. And specifically, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you knew it was the right time to do a full redesign on your blog. Because over the past couple of years, since we did your first like iteration of the clean eating couple, we've done so many tweaks and updates and things over the years. But at some point in the last year, we had a conversation and ultimately you decided that it was the right time to do a full redesign and like a new custom theme and custom look. So can you tell the listeners what that process was like for you? And ultimately maybe like what were one or two reasons that you decided to kind of start with a a clean slate rather than continuing to, you know, add more tweaks and updates to your site. Yeah. So I will say that I didn't really think I needed a redesign. It had, I listened to your podcast every single week and I listened to you talk about why you should redesign your site. And I was just like, yeah, but my site's good. It's working. It's fine. And it honestly wasn't until you texted me and said, Hey, I think that we should redesign your site that I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. (laughs) But I know that not everyone has the privilege of having Madison as their friend to send them that text <laughs> message. So I'll be truthful and say that I, like, I, I really didn't even think I needed a rebrand. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you do need one, then you were already a step ahead of me. But I will say that it really wasn't until we kind of dove into the process and I saw the new site that I was like, oh, wow. Okay. How did I ever think that that old site was doing just fine when it could be this? So I think there's like two sides of it. 
some of you that are listening to this might be like, oh my gosh, I know my site needs a redesign. It's not not great. I know that there's got a lot of potential there. And then some of you might be like me that might think yeah, it's fine the way it is and it really doesn't need anything. So I would say, <laughs> look at, and Madison did not tell me to say this. I would say, go look on the Grace and Fine website and look at the work that she's done and her team has done. And if you look at your site and you're like, ooh, um, if this needs a little TLC, then you might need a redesign. But the other thing that you can also be thinking of is, is this website really serving me? Is this really a reflection of who I am and who I am as a brand? And while my site was fine and it got me to where I needed to be, I, when I look at my site now, it is so representative of who I am and, and who I'm trying to talk to and what the clean eating couple represents. It's clean, it's minimal, it's organized. It's all the things that I would want for my readers and that they need. And if you're looking at your site now and you don't feel like it is serving your readers in the best way possible, then you might need a redesign. Yeah. And I think that is really the key is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, I, I think on the one hand, that's why people, when they reach out, they're oftentimes like, I need it today because it's like, you finally have realized, oh wait, I've like, I don't know how I had blinders on this whole time, but this really isn't a reflection of my brand anymore. And that is such a natural thing that happens over the course of, you know, having your site for a few years, you grow and evolve every single day, but most of the time your website stays the same. And so it's one of those things that's so hard, but I think to your point, if you really know that it like the, that's something you need to do, then you're already probably maybe a couple of months or like even a year behind like needing to have that actually done. And it's it's just hard to not you don't know what more you could do, especially with having somebody else who's looking in on your business and your brand and saying like, well, what about this? Or how would your audience feel about this? It's just, it's one of those things you're just too close to the work sometimes to really fully grasp the changes that are possible. So thank you for sharing all of that. What would you say was your biggest challenge and then your favorite part of the redesign process? And then we'll wrap up. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge honestly was waiting for the site to like actually be live once I had seen the mock-ups and what it could look like. Looking at the old version was really, really hard. Going kind of back to what you said about you don't know what you don't know. Having someone else be on my site and looking at it from an outsider perspective was just like so great. And then just having to wait for it to go live was the biggest challenge. I've said this to you offline, but working with you and your team was super easy, very seamless, organized. So I really loved the process. And I think my favorite part was probably like the when you sent the mock-up over it like it, it literally made me cry <laughs> which I'm not a crier but I was like oh my gosh it just made me feel so proud because it was so representative of what the business that I built and the people that I'm serving so that was my favorite moment and then I also really like the strategy part of it going into it you know Madison does a call with her clients before the redesign process kind of kicks off. So kind of digging into the strategy and all the behind the scenes things of my audience and niche wasn't something that I even knew that you did, but it was really, really helpful and kind of, I think, set the tone for the future of the site in that we always had that overarching information to come back to and to have in mind when we were making decisions throughout the rest of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that part is probably the part of the process. If I had asked you, like, is there any part of the process you don't think you need? Like, that was probably the part that you would have said, like, I've got my audience down. Like, I know what they want. It's all good. Like, you probably would have 
said you could skip that part, but that was, I mean, we come back to those documents that we fill out in that phase over and over and over again as a team to make sure that the decisions we're making align with what you've told us about your business and about your your audience, basically. So yeah, those are some of my favorite moments and parts of the process too. And now it's just so fun to go to your new site and see it. So for anyone who's listening, make sure you go and check out Liz's site at thecleaneatingcouple.com and just see all the different features because it really was such a fun process and it is really cool even just to see the way that your audience engaged with you after the fact. I remember there was a reel that you shared with like basically the before and after and just scrolling through the comments and seeing what people were saying about how much easier it was to use and how excited they were about it. It wasn't just like a, oh, yay, I'm super excited for you. It was like, no, I'm actually excited for me because now I get to use this site that is so much easier to use and easier to find what I'm looking for. So that was a really cool part of the process for me too. So I would love for you to share where people can connect with you and find your blog, all of that good stuff. And I know that you're a like open book when it comes to asking questions about, you know, the food blogging world and business and all of that. So can you share where people can get to know you and connect with you? Yeah, totally. So you can find me on thecleaneatingcouple.com. I'm on Instagram at thecleaneatingcouple and you are welcome to send me an email. Like Madison said, I am open book. I will talk to you about anything food blogging related. Uh, Liz, L-I-Z at thecleaneatingcouple.com. And if you love desserts and need a break from the healthy food, I'm at tastytreatsandeats.com. And that's, up and running and super excited for that too. Well, that's awesome. And we'll definitely have those links in the show notes for people as well as the link to the interview we did way back when about email marketing and all of that stuff. Cause that's a really great one for people who are interested in like learning how you have structured your business with email marketing, which is something we didn't even talk about today. So we'll definitely link to all of those things in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and just for being so open and candid about all of these different topics. There were just too many for us to choose just one. So I'm so excited for people to listen to this episode and thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.